May you grow up to be righteous. May you grow up to be true. May you always know the truth and see the light surrounding you. May you always be courageous. Stand upright and be strong. And may you stay forever young. May you stay forever young. Hey there, welcome to Kaisis, a podcast about living our new life in the new covenant age. Our podcast name comes from two Greek words, kaine kitesis, which mean new creation. I'm your co-host, Osvaldo Valdez, and let me welcome Pastor Todd Bordeaux. Okay, we are going to start sort of a mini-series within our series of interpreting the Old Testament in the light of Christ and His coming. And we're going to spend, oh, maybe five or six weeks on dominionism, which may be the newest and most serious challenge uh, to the church, at least in the conservative world. I mean, this idea is pretty prominent in the liberal world in different ways that we'll talk about. But Oswaldo, you're going to lead us this first session as we talk about Genesis. Um, yeah. Any initial thoughts before we get going? Yeah, you know what's interesting? Because I feel when, when you first mentioned Dominion theology. This is fairly a neat term for me. I've never heard of that in my life, but the concepts are actually fairly, fairly kind of uh, familiar, very familiar. Kind of this idea that, as we're going to explain in a minute, that Christians must, you know, make all secular space Christian. Um, so I feel like uh, that's a lot of people's experience where they probably never heard the word Dominion, but they've probably at least heard its concepts before. Yeah, well, let me read the passage, and then you can uh, get us going. Yeah. Genesis 1, 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, it's interesting, because this... This general subject, Dominion theology, kind of manifests itself in kind of different ways and different has different branches. And we've mentioned a few before, like theonomy, um, Calvinist Christian Reconstructionism. Um, in charismatic circles, it's um, it's a movement called the New Apostolic Reformation um, that kind of has uh, as its uh, underlying theology this this Dominion theology, and kind of what's kind of on the media these days is this is Christian nationalism. And in and, and, and each of these kind of groups, they're, they're a little bit different from each other, kind of in their own theology and, and justifications. But in general, the idea is that Christians should have dominion over secular spaces, right? That, that we have to Christianize society, culture, and, and, and politics. So um, kind of this kind of, on a, on a practical level, this kind of looks like we have to we have to make music, Christian music. We have to make Christian movies, or we have to make our jobs kind of distinctly Christian. 
And you've probably, I mean, our audience probably have heard kind of people kind of promoting themselves in a way like oh, I'm a Christian plumber, Christian contractor, or a Christian mechanic, which actually growing up was actually pretty, pretty common. And, and it's funny because my parents felt more comfortable seeking someone Christian than someone non-Christian. Or in another way that I've kind of heard it, that's kind of this idea of dominion is that we, we ought to have um, a lot of kids. You know, Christians should, should seek to have as many kids as possible uh, to increase the Christian population. I actually heard this from a, a professor once and from, from other people um, as well. This idea that we have to dominate, subdue cultures and society. So, but historically, it's interesting, this idea of having dominion over society, culture, and politics is fairly a minority. Right? This has been historically a minority position. However, since a lot of its ideals kind of overlap with the right politics, and these days there's kind of been a greater following, and like I said, it's in, in, within the group of Christian nationalism, um, this idea that we ought to make America Christian again, it's becoming a little bit more and more popular. And many have appealed to this passage because of its language, that, that, that Adam was given the mandate to subdue and, and dominate the, the, the created order, so the church must do the same with society. And are they right? Well, no, absolutely not. And we're going to explain and kind of unpack this passage a little bit. But before we do that, Pastor, what, what has been your experience with Dominion theology in your ministry? Well, before I answer that, let me just clarify. When you say they appeal to right politics, you mean conservative politics, like yes. on the right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I started ministry, I rarely heard about dominion theology or was told the church has to take dominion. I mean, that's the type of thing that maybe people more considered wackos or really <laughs> oddballs like Doug Phillips and Vision Forum. Mm. Or even the, in my day, the John Birch Society, people my age will remember that. Um, now it looks like, you know, Doug Phillips and John Birch had a bunch of children, and now they're an army. So you see Dominion theology everywhere, in Reformed circles, Pentecostal, Baptist. And in a nutshell, we see it in the Gospels because the people are always trying to make Jesus king. Hmm. And they want him to be the political king over Israel and then over the world. And each time they try to make him this type of king, he hides himself. He refuses. And of course, that's still happening today. Uh, religious people want to make Jesus a king in the political, cultural sense. And Jesus continues to have the same response. He's hiding himself from that. He will not take on the role that we want him to. No. And we'll unfold that in the in today and in the coming weeks. But yeah, in a nutshell, it's I'm sort of shocked to see the prominence of Dominion theology in the conservative world in the last 20 years, where it went from a very fringe movement. Wow! You look at you know the prominence of somebody like Doug Wilson or um, guys like this. Like, I would have never thought back then it would be so accepted and. Uh, taught as it is today in, in our world. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Like I said, never actually heard 
the term, but it's like, like, like you said, it's becoming popular, at least on a lay people level and online, especially. So kind of focusing on our passage, I, I want us to unpack a few things and, and look at the context because our passage is not found in a vacuum. There's, there's, there's four things I want us to consider. Um, the first thing is that in, in our passage, God, um, man's dominion, humanity's dominion um, over over the created order is, is closely related to being made in God's image. So like the, the verse right before, God created men and women in his image. It's, it's to, humanity is the crown of all creation. And, and part of the implication of being made in God's image means that humanity participates in God's rule over creation and over the earth. Right? That's the first thing. Secondly, kind of the language that, that God himself employs saying that you would subdue and exercise dominion over, over the earth. So it's interesting because this language is political in a sense. And what, what do I mean by that? It means that um, God himself established a hierarchy within creation, that the humanity were to, mean, were to be rulers of the land and animals. And how did this look like? It, look, it looked in them um, being fruitful, multiplying. They were, they were responsible for having children and filling the earth with his image. And, and secondly, it... it, it it manifested himself in them maintaining the land and being sustained by the land. And, and that includes kind of the animals as well. So what we have initially in, in this, in this story in chapter, in chapter one is, is all of creation is in harmony, right? And part of that harmony is this hierarchy that God established that humanity was to be good rulers. There was no harm. There was no tyranny. There was no cruelty. There was an ideal that all of creation was in harmony. And thirdly, what we an important an important important key context is that this this mandate that the man was to have dominion was given in the context of the covenant of works, right? God's uh, God's um, conditional relationship with humanity was was that if they exercised their dominion well, if they if they if they were good stewards of what they were given. They, they will be crowned with eternal success. There will be a reward, an eternal reward for them. But as we know, the story is that this didn't last. The fall changed all of that. And that leads us to our four, fourth context point. That humanity was completely disrupted at the fall. But not just humanity. And we have to have that in mind. It wasn't just that Adam and Eve sinned. But there was, there was a lot of a collateral. Right? The harmony that was in creation was completely disrupted. The covenant of works was broken. And what we, sh- what we should get from chapter 3 in Genesis is that humanity's dominion completely failed. It's funny because humanity's dominion only really properly lasted only three chapters in Genesis. And there is, I guess in a sense, even afterwards, there is a residue in which God's promise remains. Because man exercises some dominion over the land and over the animals. But definitely not like before. So whenever we, we, we speak of, of man's dominion, I think it's better to speak of it in terms of, being, of it being lost. Because w- once again, this, this, this um, subduing, this stewardship over creation is not to be seen in a vacuum, but in the context of the covenant of works and in the covenant of a, uh, sorry, and within the context of a harmonious creation. That was disrupted by the fall. And therefore, it is proper to speak of it, humanity's dominion as having been lost. But however, the fall gives us something else, though, right? A promise of a better and greater 
ruler. And we're going to unpack these points in a minute. But before I do that, Pastor, do you have any any comment on 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 humanity on the role of humanity's dominion over creation? Yeah, I mean, dominion theology tends to look at the fall as a bump in the road that it sort of continued even after the fall as if it didn't change everything. And it fails mm-hmm. to reckon that the fall brought a curse upon the world. And so it's interesting in Genesis 9, after Noah is out of the ark, you know, the Lord says to him, yes, be fruitful and multiply. So that returns. But yeah. what doesn't return? It Take dominion. That, that phrase does not return. And so, as you said, oh, you know, they're promised not to be overrun by the animals because there's wild animals everywhere, but there's no more take dominion. So that's purposely left out because in the fall, they won't be able to take dominion. It's a fallen world that will end in judgment. Hmm. Now, the idea of dominion only returns with Canaan as they are to take dominion over the land of Canaan. But as we've talked about, Canaan is a picture of the new heavens and earth. Mm -hmm. So that's the typology of Christ cleansing the world Mm -hmm. for his people at his return. And so right now we're in the time of Ecclesiastes. There's vanity in the world. Dominion doesn't work. And it's not answered by some golden age in the future where the church takes dominion. It's answered by the new creation that will never fade away. And the only one that can bring about a new creation is not us. It's not the church. It's Christ. Mm-hmm. Christ leads his new creation, as you said. We have a new and better Adam. And so dominionism fails to recognize these biblical dichotomies that this passing world versus the world to come. Mm-hmm. We will, This passing world will not last forever, so we cannot take dominion like before the fall that would have lasted forever yeah it's the dichotomy of earthly things and heavenly things that we see throughout the new testament and so as you said the fall changed everything and we can't read the bible as if that didn't change Hmm. dominion yeah exactly and 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 that's going to be key and, and, and kind of unraveling um, just kind of dominion theologies, <laughs> theology. So just, I want to focus specifically just on our passage on Adam, because like as, as, as pastor, uh, as you said, um, this is a big topic and, and we're going to be unpacking it in the next few weeks. So just focusing on our, on our pack, uh, on our passage, I want us to see a few things. One is that the scope or the limits of our passage is limited to land and animals. It's not our passage is not talking about culture. It's not really talking about politics. It's not talking about secular space becoming Christian because there was no secular space in the first place. Everything was holy before God in creation. Um, there was no culture, right? In 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 Adam's time, so there was really no culture to dominate or subdue. The scope of our pack of our passage is strictly limited to land and animals. And we see that immediately after verse 28. Because what do we have after verse 28? We have the naming of animals from uh, as part of Adam's responsibilities. The naming of something in general in the ancient world reflected that that 
whoever's doing the naming has certain authority over the person or the thing being named. That's exactly what Adam is doing. He's naming animals, reflecting his dominion over them. The second thing that happens right after our passage is that the land provides for Adam and Eve without fail. We're given in a, it's interesting because we, we see the, the man's dominion um, manifesting himself in both Adam naming animals and in the land providing without fail. Okay. So once again, not about culture, not about politics, but strictly about land and animals. The second thing I want us to see is that Adam's dominion was meant to be part of the harmony in creation. It was meant to keep things in order. But as we read, um, as we've read, it went south real quick. Upon the fall, what happened? What happened to that harmony? What happened to that dominion? It, it completely fell apart. The land did not provide as easily. It went from providing effortlessly to, to Adam being cursed and that all his efforts would be full of labor, full of failure, and with little success. That the land would not provide like it did before. There, then there's enmity between Adam and Eve. Remember that this dominion, this subduing was meant to be part of both Adam and Eve's role in creation. They were both the crowns of creation. They were both on the top of the hierarchy. But even among themselves, well, they, were, they were meant to be one flesh had, exercising dominion. Now there's enmity between them. Even their children, even Adam's children, their children was meant to were meant to participate in their in, in their parents' dominion over creation. And what happens? There's even enmity among themselves. As the famous story goes, that Cain killed Abel. So I think there is a begging question here. Where is the dominion? Right when we read Genesis three onwards, there is that begging question: Where is the dominion? And I think that our passage, Genesis one twenty eight, actually highlights man's failed dominion, or I think a better term for that would be man's lost dominion. Because remember, the dominion is reflected how in Adam naming animals and in the land providing effortlessly. And what happens after that? After chapter three, we see that that is actually lost. In, 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 in every uh, sense of that word. So, so pastor, do you have any other examples of this, of this theme of failed dominion in the Bible? Yeah, before I say it, though, I do want to offer one slight correction to what you said, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. And that is that um, when you, you said every time someone names, it's an aspect of authority. Yeah. Uh, that's true some of the time, but not every time. For example, Hagar names God in Genesis 16. Um, she she gives God a new name. Mm. So not all naming is authority, uh, but but in your in the case what you're bringing up, that's definitely true with Adam and the animals. Yeah, no, thank you. That's a that's a great point. Yeah, thank you for clarifying. Hagar definitely did not have authority over God. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the most obvious one that failed is Canaan ended up failing, didn't it? Yeah. You know, they left the Canaanites in the land. And then the whole book of Judges is Israel's failure. And it's interesting, Christian nationalists and dominionists, they want to bring the law of God to rule America as if that will solve her problems. Well, what was Israel's law in the book of Judges? Hmm. The law of Moses. Mm -hmm. And did that clean up society? No. Did that help society? No, I mean, 
you, you can have a law and simply not follow it. So having the right laws is not going to change much with sinful natures. Hmm. And if you say, well, then, the you know, Christian nationalism and dominionism assumes most people are believers. Well, then why are you so worried about all the laws? I mean, it'll take care of itself hmm. if most people are believers. So, yeah, it, it always fails in the Bible and it fails historically. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first time we see dominionism is Constantine, hmm. which ended up, you know, uh, forcing people by the sword uh, to convert. Mm-hmm. You know, at first it simply allowed Christianity without persecution, then it favored Christianity, then eventually it enforced Christianity which led into the Holy Roman Empire, and that didn't turn out too well, did it? No, no. And so, you know, to want to bring back another Holy Roman Empire, if you think that's going to work this time because, why, you're smarter? <laughs> you're better than them? No. You know, the, the American Puritans tried this, uh, making their communities basically theocracies, and it lasted about a generation and a half. By the second generation, they were already writing their Jeremiads, which were sermons of why the whole experiment is failing and God is judging them. And so it never lasts. Every time we try to enforce Christianity, it always ends up in failure. Historically, we've, we've seen this. And so why they think now they're going to do it better, uh, call us skeptical. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a really good point. This, this, this leads us to our horizontal and, and vertical elements and part of our, of our podcast where we see how, how, this passage, how this passage points us towards, towards the kingdom of God. And so what does this dominion mandate point to? Is the question and, and, and the most obvious one is that adam pointed towards a better and greater adam and that's not something we make up that's something that this passage uh later on itself points to that by chapter three we're, we're promised someone better someone who is able to crush the serpent exercise true dominion over the created order and that person's jesus you see jesus rules forever and without fail unlike adam and his rule renews creation it doesn't corrupt it and, and I think that, that that's the most that's the, that's the most important point that we can make. And I think that it's somehow lost in in dominion theology. It, it's interesting because once again, what our passage highlights is it's what man has, what, what humanity has failed, what humanity has lost. But what this passage points to is that Jesus is the one that rules without fail. His dominion has actually a positive effect over creation. And that's reflected in, 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 in the word, in this term that we've, we've been using throughout our whole podcast, and that is the new creation. The new creation is Jesus' is dominion over the world. The new creation is Jesus' dominion over the whole created order where, where everything is, is placed at the feet of Jesus. And, and, and it's beautiful because things being placed under the feet of Jesus is not strictly a negative thing. Because his rule is not strictly a, a rule of judgment, but also a rule of renewal. Where the old, yes, ends in judgment, but the type of rule that Jesus exercises is the type of rule that also inaugurates and brings forth the restoration of all things. The restoration of us, 
and also the restoration of the created order. So this is what our passage points to. It points towards the new creation and towards a better and greater king, namely Jesus. The vertical aspect of our of our passage. So how do we apply this as a new covenant believers? How does it how does it apply to you and how does it apply to me? Well, first, it shows that in Christ there is a renewed humanity. In Adam, the first Adam, there is a corrupt humanity. There is there, there is a humanity that has lost dominion over the created order. But in Christ, there is a renewed humanity, meaning that if you believe in him for salvation, you are part of the new creation. That's the beauty of it. You, you don't earn the your status as a new creature. You don't earn your place in the new creation or in the kingdom of God. In Christ, right, there is forgiveness of sins and there is a welcoming into the new creation. And it's beautiful because when, when you place your faith in Christ, you experience Christ personally and intimately in such a way that you're renewed in his image, meaning that you're not merely associated with Christ, but you're actually being created according to his image in true holiness and righteousness. And more than that, it, it's beautiful because if we participate in Christ's image, right, if we, if we participate in his righteousness and in his holiness, we also participate in his in his in his rule and what i mean by that we, we participate in the church's gospel ministry so we don't rule the old creation and i think that's a, that's, a, that's 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 the main clarifying point we don't rule the old creation which will pass but through the gospel through the gospel ministry that we participate in people are added to the new creation we participate in the kingdom of god in that way and that we are able to preach the gospel to others and i think the best example of that is is the parable of the sower when jesus describes the kingdom of God in this side of glory as a sower going out to sow. And I think that's such a glorious passage and parable. Why? Because it doesn't say the warrior goes out to conquer with his sword. But how does how does the kingdom of God in this side of glory conquer, to use that term? It conquers, using that, that word, with the preaching of the gospel. Not by conquering culture, not by dominating politics, not by dominating secular space, but by preaching the gospel. And I think that's a, that's a huge, huge uh, point that we have to understand. This is how we participate in this side of glory in the new creation rule, that we get to preach the gospel and invite people into the new creation. And, and I think the fourth point that we have to make and that this passage points to is that we don't put our hope in the old creation. We, we, we don't put our hope in what has been lost, but in the world to come, but in the new creation. In, in, in the in the new creation where Christ rules forever and without fail. So, so, so Pastor, do you have any any comment on this horizontal and vertical part of our passage? Yeah, it really brings us back to Hebrews eleven, doesn't it? That as Abraham and company um, looked to the heavenly city, they were strangers and pilgrims mm. in this world. That's New Testament Christianity. We are strangers and pilgrims. Uh, we don't identify with the politics or philosophies of this old world. Um, we're not here to make a theocracy or purify the world, the old world, through laws. The church is here to reach sinners with the gospel. Mm -hmm. Yes, the government has a role to preserve society through law, and the government will always abuse that um, one way or the other. That's why the government's called the beast in Revelation. But the church's role, what true conquering is, is preaching forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Where Christ conquers through the gospel their sin and brings 
them to himself, as you said, so they are members now of his eternal new creation. And so to profane that and make it about conquering this old world and taking over is just to profane the beauty and glory of the gospel for pilgrims. Exactly. Now there's a lot to unpack in the coming episodes, but I think that's a good summary. So why don't you uh, kind of sort of conclude this for us, if you don't mind? Yeah. So, 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 so what, what I hope that, that our audience could have kind of get from this is that this is, this is a terrible passage for dominionists because overall what we see, what, what, what we see unfolding um, after verse 20, after Genesis one twenty eight is that Adam's rule failed. That's the overall point. Adam has failed. But what about the second Adam? You know, he doesn't fail. Christ doesn't fail. So, so what, what I want to encourage our, our audience is that don't be pressured into changing culture. Don't, don't be pressured and kind of misled by, by this type of theology. Just be a good neighbor. And we, we've explained this. We've said this so many times. Paul, Paul throughout his, his epistles emphasizes this exact point. Live quietly. Exercise, uh, uh, exercise Christ's rule in, 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 in loving your neighbor just like yourself. You know, no, no, no need to be um, kind of changing culture, politics, or society. There is a place for that, right? As, as individuals, God could call us to do things like that. But that's not the church's mission, okay? Don't, don't be pressured. Don't be guilted into doing that. At the end, what we have as Christians is an ultimate hope that this that this old world will pass away, but that the new will come, that Christ will rule and restore all things. Any, any final thoughts, Pastor? Yeah, really a warning for all those listening that this is something you're going to have to make a decision and stand strong with because when you call out dominionism, uh, those proponents of that will threaten you uh, you know, you'll be called Gnostic or antinomian, a dualist. Um, you have a truncated gospel, not a full gospel that also, you know, sort of takes over society and Christianizes all things in this life. Um, so we're going to break this down in weeks to come, look at the tactics, how they misuse scripture. Hmm. But it's really something that you're going to have to see the danger of you really can't give in to this and say, well, it's just a slight disagreement. It's, there are two different views of Christianity here. And I'm somewhat glad that dominionists are strong enough to say, those of us against it don't really hold to the gospel. I'm glad they do that because I think they're seeing that there's two totally different views hmm. of the Christian life. And, and they're right. So we hope we can convince you if you're being persuaded by this of the wrongness of of this view in the coming weeks may your hands always be busy